Well, grab a Bible. We're going to be in the book of Proverbs tonight. We are in Proverbs chapter 29. So you have a couple of options. You can grab a Bible. You can grab one of the Bibles in front of you, or you could also use one of the booklets. You guys are aware uh, that the way we're doing this in the book of Proverbs, we've been providing you a chapter at a time so that it would give you the ability to mark this thing up maybe more than you would your own Bible. I'm going to use a series of colors and, and, and lines that we've been doing. There's a legend on page 12 of your booklet there if you're wanting it. But just walking you through a place where we'll, we'll use green up on the screen for, for good, red for bad, blue for things that are just true, purple for the things that are of God, and try to just track through uh, just the, the way that Proverbs works. Because one of the challenges of the book of Proverbs is that truth comes at us, you know, almost like a machine gun. It's as if you, you're, you're talking about one thing and then something else comes from a different direction and something else comes from a different direction. And that can be a challenge to work through, which is why we're using the booklets that way. But it's also part of its power, part of the way Proverbs works that way intentionally so that God's truth could just be you know, flying and working into our lives and believing that one of these Proverbs would be for you. If you're joining us online, we want to make sure that you know you have an opportunity for that. So if you want a copy of this booklet, you can go to calvaryroswell.com, go under today's message uh, there, and it'll have a download under the notes. You can download that, and you would be able to download the booklet so that God would meet you and just hopefully be able to use that and following along here in this chapter. In many ways, we are nearing the end. I mean, I say that. We still have two and a half chapters left of the book of Proverbs, but things change. Uh, this will be the, the last of the, of the chapters that really deal with Proverbs the way that we've been doing it, where it's, it is just this flying kind of one truth that just kind of packed upon another. The next two chapters are much more poetic and, and much more cohesive and, and fascinatingly so, and yet so longing that God would meet us in his truth this evening. So with that in mind, let's pray. I'm going to ask God to work into our lives. I'm asking you to do the same, just that he would give us wisdom into the things that he would have in store for us. Father, right now, here, presenting ourselves to you, and, and Lord, I thank you for your truth in the way that you've given it. Even Proverbs, that comes so randomly in some places, so one verse so very different than the next, and yet truth being just presented to us. I believe that there's power in that because it's the way that you've given it to us. And I believe that you have something for us tonight. Oh, God, help. Oh, God, help us to hear it. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us tonight. Give us ears to hear what you would communicate to us in your word. So that it'd be personal. It would be real. We're asking for that tonight, believing that you're a God who works in that. And so right now here, have us to hear you. We ask for that together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This book will keep you from sin, and sin will keep you from this book. That well-known axiom is incredibly powerful. That part of the power of the Word of God is in its effectiveness in our lives, that it's consistent place, that this book rightly believed, rightly held, rightly applied, works into our lives. It's definitely one of the things that we always need to know, and even approaching it this evening, longing that God would do that, but in many ways, that's exactly where we want to join it. So we're right in the middle of Proverbs 29. If you are with us last week, we made it uh, up through verse 17, so we are in verse 18 tonight. 
page six on your booklet if you're heading over there. And here we get a really well-known proverb, but one that we need to heed. It says, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. Where there is no revelation, that's obviously the focus. That's the thing that we're being able to say, okay, when this isn't there, he says, people will cast off restraint. So what is he saying? Now, this is important. And indeed, I want to make sure you hear me well in it. Because the word revelation, it's a word that is used, especially here in the Hebrew word that's used here, for divine communication. That God is opening up truth to us, much like the book of Revelation, which is God unpacking for us, God showing us things, God opening up truth to us. Revelation is meant to be that, that it's God speaking to us and revealing to us things that are from Him to us. Now, what's important for you to heed in that is that this is not talking about having a good plan or having a vision. The King James Version uh, of this verse says, you know, with, you know where there is no vision, uh, the, the people perish, or they cast off that restraint. Um, from that verse, some have taken this, this verse, and it's become a very well-known uh, proverb that's used in our culture today to talk about uh, leadership principles that maybe ought to be present within uh, God's people or even in a church. And so if you're anywhere familiar with this, we live in a day, and it's not entirely wrong, that in some senses, some of the wisdom uh, that is true in the world sometimes gets brought into the church. Now, again, please hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying that's an altogether bad thing. I mean, I like the idea of when the children of Israel come out of Egypt, we can plunder the Egyptians. We can gain, you know, from the things that are there. But one of the great dangers is to try to take God's word and twist it to make it say it. And so what will be said so often from this verse is that people are saying, well, you know, you have to have a vision statement. You got to have a vision statement for your church or your ministry. You have to have a well-articulated, you know, one or two-point kind of vision statement. And if it's really, really good, it can move on into measurable aims and, you know, just things with, with this feedback that you can work in the midst of that, which is a really common way to do business these days, which is a really common way to do it. And maybe, again, not altogether bad, but we go way wrong when we try to take God's word and twist it to say something it's not saying to kind of it just promote what we think is right. And this is one of them. Because that idea of needing a vision statement for a church or a ministry is not found anywhere in the scripture. And this would be the only space that's there. And that's not what it's saying. No, this is very clearly speaking to us about the power of the Word of God. Now, we could get that just from the word revelation, but you can also just see it in the contrast. So most of the Proverbs like this, they put, you know, one thing compared to the other. Either it's complementary or it's opposites. And as we look at what this one is contrasting, he says, but happy is he who would keep the law, who would keep the Word of God, who would keep the law of God, the Torah, keep the, the, the word that God would give into our life. Happy is the one who says, you know, I'm paying attention to what God is saying. So it becomes very, very clear that what God is speaking to us is that place of the word of God. Now, I, I like that, but maybe it's just helpful to hear it in somebody else's words. And so I like David Guzek's commentary on this. He says it this way. 
The King James Version expresses these word, uh, this in these words, where there is no vision, the people perish. This has often been taken to say, where there is no visionary leadership, people and enterprises fail. So you'll find it. You'll find it all over the map today in churches and businesses saying, hey, you have to have vision. You have to have a visionary leadership. You have to have a, a vision statement, and they'll use this. David Guzik goes on to say, this is often a true principle, but it's not what Solomon wrote here. It's not what God gave us. There's little doubt that the Hebrew word hazan means God's revelation and not visionary leadership. I mean, it's just no doubt that that's what it is, and you cannot take a verse and twist it, and yet it happens so often. So simply this, because this one is used so often, I point it out to you. Point out and say, hey, that's not what it's speaking. So we know what it's not saying. Let's dive into a moment what it is saying. It says when that's not happening. When God, the, the, God's word is not being revealed, when his message is not being heard, when there's not a revelation, this divine communication, it is this place where people cast off restraint, where you know, they, they go and do their own thing, that they, they go and it, and it becomes destructive, rightly so. The idea is not just you know, running amok, but running in a destructive course. And he's calling us in a very different place to be those who keep the law, that there's a sense here that we're being called to understand, to be those who are hearing what God has to say, and that being that which keeps our lives. Adam Clark, in his uh, commentary on this, said it this way, where divine revelation and the faithful preaching of the sacred testimonies are neither reverenced nor attended, the ruin of the land is at no great distance. He says, when you, when you can look upon it and say, okay, so when God's word is not being listened to any longer, where the preaching of the word is not happening, you can look and say, I know what's coming. Uh, I know where this is going. I, I, you know, you, you, can't, you take this away, take away God's word, and, and, and you could look upon any land and say, hey, the ruin of the land is not, not far distant beyond this, because in so many ways it is so. I find myself thinking of how the book of Judges is one of those places that sees this. And then the book of Judges, chapter 21, it says, in those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone just did what was right in their own eyes. And if you know anything about the book of Judges, it's a, it's a horrendous picture. It's a destructive, you know, demoralizing descent into absolute anarchy, and there's a place of saying, hey, that's terrible. That's incredibly destructive, and he's inviting us away from that. He's inviting us away from being those who are that. So we could think about this for a nation. We could think about this for a church, and it would be right for us to think about it, that what we need is to hear from God. Now, it's worth making sure we do understand that. It's more than just having a Bible present. It's more than just having, you know, a Bible on your coffee table or in your shelf. The idea here is, hey, we need, we need to hear. We need God's Word revealed to us. We need to hear what God has, is saying because what we need it to do is guide us. What we need to be those who keep the law. What we need to do is say, okay, God, this is kind of our owner's manual this is how, it, how we're supposed to work. This is how this whole thing's supposed to happen. And if we would believe this, it would shape our lives and keep us on track and, and keep us from, you know, going off the rails, going into this place where we cast off, cast off restraint. That's needed. 
It's needed in our lives. It's needed even hopefully here this evening that God would speak to us through his word. It's it's needed in, in our lives in a consistent way. And so I take just a moment to one more time say what I said at the very beginning. This book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. This book, rightly believed and heard and lived, it will be this that restrains your life, keeps you on track. Reject it, reject it, and and turn to sin. It will move you away from that. What's needed to be heard by you right now is not a place where you're looking outwardly, thinking about what somebody else should be doing or where we are as a nation, though not a bad thing to kind of think through just for a moment. But I just want to tell you to you, what is being underscored here is the power and the authority and the need you have of God's Word. Now, I recognize where we are. This is Wednesday night. This is a Wednesday night Bible study. It's not everybody that comes to our church. I mean, I recognize for many of you, it's like, hey, Jim, don't you know who you're, we we are those that are showing up on the middle of the week. I mean, that's got to be something. Yes, it is. But you need it so much more. You need to be in the word of God. I would put before you that, that you need it constantly. You need to be in the word of God. I would encourage you daily, that daily that God would speak to you his word because, boy, you need it. I think about how Jesus would talk about it. And in one of my favorite places where he talks about it, it's in Mark 4. And he said to them, Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you hear, more will be given. He says, You really ought to be attentive in the way that you're listening, to what you're listening to, but how you're listening to it. And he says, so the same measure that you show up with, that's what you're going to get. And so it's the idea that, you know, you show up to a a well, I suppose, and you're going to get, you know, something out of it. And you have, you know, an eight-ounce cup, you know, well, that's what you're going to get. You know, you came with, and and that's what you were looking for, that's how much time you invested, that's what you're going to get. You come with the 64-ounce, you know, big one, you know, then you can get so much more. You come with a bucket. He says, as much as you come with, as much as you come with, as much as you come just saying, God, I want you to speak, he says, there's more available for you than you've ever got. That's true for every one of us. Not any one of us could look and say, hey, we have everything God has, but he's inviting us to have an attentiveness. Now, to that end, Jesus says this, for Whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. This, to me, is one of these amazing promises and terrifying ones at the same time. For starters, please hear, this is Jesus. This isn't me. This isn't Pastor Jim. This is Jesus. And he says, whoever has. Whoever has, whoever is you know, holding fast to God's word and keeping it and growing in it, he says, I'm going to give you more you're going to get more. That's true for you. That's not, there's not anybody that that's outside of the realm of just work into your life. If you will hear and heed and listen to what God says, you know, he'll give you more. But then he says something that's terrifying. Stop listening. Stop listening. Whoever does not have, even what you used to have will go away. Even, even what you, well, you know, I read the Bible through one time. Yeah, I, I got all that stuff in Sunday school. Yeah, I, I, I did whatever, you know, I read one of those books. And, and now I know enough. He says, no, no, that's not the way this thing works. 
This isn't something that's some kind of static learning that you had in the past. This book, this, the Word of God is meant to be constant in your life. It's meant to be a constant just resource and place so that when we think about what he's saying here is if we're not doing this, if, if we're not in a space where God's Word is being revealed to us, where we're hearing from God, it is going to go bad for us. And again, this isn't something from 10 years ago. This is today and next week. If you could look at it and say, I need the Word of God. I need it constantly in my life because if I don't get that, I'm gonna, it, I, there's no way. It, it's going to go badly for me. And, and so there's this value to place on the hearing of the Word of God, the value of hearing from God from His Word. And He just tells us, you know, as the positive part of it, not only would that be that which would keep you from going astray, He then kind of ties it in its comparison. It's like, Boy, there's joy here. There's, there's a happiness here. I mean, there's a place of like, oh, I'm so glad that I'm holding on to God's word because that is what keeps me. Wow. It's a powerful verse, isn't it not? I mean, I, I hope it is. And one of the things that makes it so sad to me is that some that would take this and make it a, you know, a leadership principle of needing a vision statement. It's like, there's no, that's not what you need. I'm not saying it's bad, but what you need is the word of God. What you need is God's word. What you need is his word constantly in your life, and you need to hear from him. That's uh, what we were praying for just a moment ago, right? I asked you to pray. Not just to sit here this morning, but I said, I hope that God, you'd hear from God tonight. I hope that at least in one of these Proverbs, it would be God himself saying, this is me talking to you. It's what we ask for every Wednesday, every Sunday. It's what you need every day in the word of God, is I don't just need to read my chapter and be like, got it, you know, read my chapters, it needs to be like, God, I need you to talk to me. I need to be talked to. I need you to speak to me. I need, I need revelation. I need divine communication. I need you to open up your, and God does that, and it's powerful. May that be something that is very, very much a part of your life, and may God bring you into that. All right, well, leaving that, you can turn the page. Verse 19 a servant will not be corrected by mere words, for though he understands, he will not respond. A servant won't be corrected. And this kind of time, you know, looks into this place, thinking about a servant or a slave in those days and kind of dealing with this and talking about, in many ways, the power of discipline and leadership in the midst of all those things. He says, it's not enough just to talk. Even if he understands, even if he understands, he will not respond. Now, Walk our way around this for a moment. Of course, this isn't like, hey, this is always every time. There are some that, you know, we can think of Joseph or others who, you know, made a slave and yet, you know, they served well and, and with humility and, and, and there was a sense. But in one sense, he's just holding out the power of discipline. Now, this has been held out all the way through the book of Proverbs, uh, both to parents and, and now to masters and, and, and bosses in our culture. It's as if to say it this way, where there are no consequences, uh, all your talk isn't going to work anywhere. Uh, it, you know, it, you know to, to really do that well, there has to be consequences. There, ha there has to be in that sense where it's not just, hey, I'm going to give you a good talking to. Uh, no, I mean, there, there needs that. That's a good piece of advice, by the way. Uh, you may or may not know that. You live in a world that there are many that champion that, that will tell us all discipline is manipulative, and you just need to be able to talk to them. 
You know, you just need to be able to reason with your two-year-old. Uh, you just need to be able to talk to them and, and listen to them. And a good talking to is only, and, and I'm just telling you, it's not true. It's not true in the family. It's not true in, in, in our world. It's not true in business. It's not true in anywhere that is. There is a sense, because even though he could understand without, without correction, it, there, it's like, okay, well, you know, here's what's going to happen if you're not going to listen to what I'm going to say. Here's the, you know, the process of that, and that needs to be a part of our lives, and it's worth, again, just heeding uh, that God is a God who brings correction. We ended last week by just talking about that, that it tells us in Hebrews that there's not any of his kids he doesn't correct. He disciplines all of us because discipline is so incredibly needed. We'll hold that because we want to cover another part of it, but in the midst of it there in verse 20, he says it this way, do you see a man hasty in his words? There's more hope for him than uh, for a f- there's more hope for a fool than for him. You see a man who's quick to talk, hasty in his words, you know, very quick to, to, to speak. He says, "There's more hope for a fool. I mean, a fool that is you know absolutely living opposite of God and God His ways. To 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 look at that, that is has more potential of help than this." If you're with us last week, early in the chapter, kind of reasoning in this, he kind of talked about in verse 11, a fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. Just telling us it's, it is absolute craziness to just say everything that comes to your mind and just allow everything to flow in that sense. And he says, that's not the way that God has for us. And so in that sense, he's tying into it and just calling us to be those who recognize it's a godly principle that we don't just immediately say everything that's on our mind. I like the way it's given to us in the book of James in that well-known verse. It says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. My brethren, let every man, let every one of us know that this is something God wants for us. This isn't just something he wants for some of us. This is what he wants for all of us. Listen, be a good listener and be a slow speaker. Be one that says, hmm, you know, I'm gonna have to think about that. You know, I'm not just gonna tell you the first thing that comes to my mind because it might be a bad deal. Like I might just like say something I shouldn't say. And I think about it like, okay, no, that's one of those places that this is where you, a fool only gives vent to everything that comes to his mind. No, there ought to be a space of restraint. There ought to be a place of that. And I, and I say this in kindness I hope it's true. I hope as I'm saying that, you're like, well, Jim, that you, you, I have to do that. You would only know the things that come to my mind. If I just let everything come out, you know, I don't, you know, that would be a good thing. I hope you know that. I hope you know what it's like to say, I do that. I have to think about things I'm saying, and many a time I'm just like, mm, nope, not that. <laughs> that's not going to be what comes out of my mouth. That would be a no, and, and that's what he's just inviting us to, just telling us, hey, wisdom is that. Wisdom would bring us into that space. And so longing for us, again, to be those who are slow to speak, slow to wrath, not hasty uh, in our words. May God rescue us from being those who are that way because it's not a way that God has us to live. Well, now in verse 21, we go back to dealing with this one who's dealing with the servant. So there in verse 19, we talked about correction and discipline and uh, the need for that, and it is needed in any kind of leadership. But then he gives it to us this way. He who pampers his servant from childhood 
will have him as a son in the end. It's as if he looks at this and says, so you have somebody in this space. You know, for us in this culture, as we apply that into our, our lives, this would be, you know, employers to employees likely in that space. He says, if you treat them well, you know, that you treat them well, all the space that you have from your childhood, you will have them as a son in the end. I mean, there will be huge blessing. Once more, these are Proverbs. This isn't an always so. Uh, it is sadly true in a broken world, you can be the, the best of bosses and the best of leaders, and people will still go. That's just, that's true, and Proverbs isn't giving us a 100% promise, but it is a principle that just says, hey, you treat them well. Don't treat them like a servant. Treat them, love them, be kind to them, be, treat them, you know, you know from, from a place that you care for them. He says, in that sense, you gain not only someone who does well, but someone who, in that sense, will treat you as family, as, as a son. And what a good example this is. I don't know where this is for anybody. I don't know where it is for you if you have some that you lead. Maybe you are a supervisor. Maybe you have people under your supervision. And, and these principles go hand in hand. On one hand, there has to be consequences. If you're a pushover and you have no consequences, it'll go bad for you. But if you're harsh it will also go bad. How much better to both hold consequences, but be that one that treats with kindness and draws that to this. And it's a great place to be and so longing for godly leaders that would walk even in that. All right. Leaving that, turn the page. Verse 22 kind of jumps back to the other. We looked in, in, the, in the previous verse before this at this idea of someone who just speaks everything that comes to their mind. Now in verse 22, it says, an angry man stirs up strife, and a furious man abounds in transgression. So an angry man. The, the word here isn't talking about somebody who is just angry, in the sense that's angry because something that happened, though that could be a part of this as well. It speaks about somebody who's just almost consistently angry almost has this chip on the shoulder waiting, like something, just, just this kind of anger that stirs up, just this kind of just heart that's gone wrong in many ways. He says that kind of person, they create conflict everywhere they go. And they just, that, that anger, it will not stay you know, silent. It will not uh, just be listened to. It causes problems everywhere it goes. And then he adds to it. So he gives us the, the, the added part of the proverb, which isn't a contrast, but a comparison, a furious man. So he's just angry all the time. It's as if he abounds. He abounds in transgression. And God just holds out to us the, the damage and the wrongness of living a life of anger. Maybe you know somebody. I hope it's not you. I hope it's not you, but if it is, may God even use this to, to rescue. Anger is a, is a dangerous thing. There is a righteous anger. Well, the Bible calls us to be angry, but not, don't sin. But that's very little of the spaces that so often people are angry. Anger becomes so destructive. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount told us that, that, some, that anger itself becomes really the heartbeat of murder. And, and he tells us it's to be almost considered in that, that, that place of just this place that would be there and understanding being angry, just having this anger that just, you know, boiling up inside of you. You cause problems everywhere you go and you will sin. You, it will lead you into great transgression. If that's you tonight, can I tell you God would rescue you from it? Our God is a God who is gracious and forgiving and healing and angry 
countenance is never the space that he would have us to be, living in this place of just the chip on your shoulder, almost waiting uh, to just, you know, blow up at people. It would be that which God would rescue you from. And if you don't know Jesus tonight, I just want to tell you, he can do it. He has rescued many an angry person of people that look back and say, boy, you would be surprised. The, the person I was, oh, I was just, I was impossible to live with. And yet God does it. He changes people. And if that's you, he can do that. But Christian, here again, it doesn't mean that we don't struggle. We do. There's so many admonitions to us about just not letting it be this way, of not being it, because if this is you, it's the way it works. You know what it's like, right? And I just, again, it's probably happened to most of us. You ever had one of those days where you just woke up on the wrong side of the bed? You were angry from the moment you got up. Nobody had done anything yet to you, but you were just, and everywhere you went, it just happened. Pretty soon, in the kitchen, in the living room, I mean, people, you just cause problems. It's like, but you just, you're the problem. You know, you brought it in with you, and yet it doesn't stop there. It will lead you to sin. It will lead you to sin. And it's one of those spaces of just looking and saying, okay, that is, that is I need help from that, because that could never be a good thing. That will cause me to abound in transgression. And just to see the damage and destruction of anger is to see that which we so desperately need to be rescued from. May God draw us and bring us there. All right. Verse 23. A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. A man's pride, this place of self-exaltation, it has the idea in the midst of the Hebrew, this idea of lifting yourself up. He says, that's actually going to bring you low. So it's actually like this comparison. Like, you lift yourself up, that's going to bring you down. You exalt yourself, that will move you down. And God himself says he'll do it. He says he resists the proud. You know, he will bring them down if we lift ourselves up. But the humble, those who would walk differently, those who would humble themselves before God and man, he says that becomes a place of, of being able to retain being able to walk in honor and live that way. And so certainly, again, he's giving us this picture of that which is both godly and right, calling us to be those who would walk in humility, those who would live that and, and, and walk it well. And it's as if he could just put two doors in front of you right now. Say, so you, you know, you go through this prideful door. It's going to be a downward descent. Even though you think you're going to be lifting yourself, it's going to bring you down. But if you humble yourself, that's a place of security. That's a place uh, of God bringing us into the things that he has, and it's the only way. May God just cause us to even see the value of that, of humbling ourselves, of recognizing that we're not the center of the world, and humbling ourselves before God and man. It's a safe place to go. All right. Keep going. Again, this is Proverbs, so it kind of just draws, and so we, hit, we, we move from that to a very different uh, just nugget in the midst of it, but one that's worth hearing. Whoever is a partner with a thief hates his own life. He who swears to tell the truth, he swears to tell the truth, but reveals nothing. So he says, if you're an accessory, you're a partner to a thief, you are one who, you know, even if you weren't there or you weren't a part of it, you find yourself supporting it. And very clearly here, this proverb, it even just has the idea of being aware. So you have this idea, you're a partner to a thief, and then he gives us kind of a further explanation in the later verse. It's as if, you know, you're being brought before a trial or you're having a police officer saying, hey, you know, what did you see? You know, what, what did you, what you and, and now you say, I didn't see anything. I didn't see anything. 
you know, and you become an accomplice. You become the one who uh, allows a thief to get away with things. He just wants us to see what's true even in our world. In our world, you can, you can be charged as an accomplice. You can, you know, the, the, the weight of the law falls into the place. Just, just not doing it is, you know, just saying, hey, I didn't actually do it. I just didn't stop. I helped. I know. I, I lied. Um, that puts you into that same place. But here it says this, this in the most simple of things, is if you go that road, you choose to do that. It says you hate your life. You, 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 you hate it. Because to resist this and go this road, it will bring in all that goes wrong with that. It brings in destruction, it brings in judgment, it brings in the pain and the sorrow and suffering, and he just calls us away from it. I mean, the sad reality is, again, it just needs to be heard. You know, the, the thing happens, it, it happens. I mean, it happens in our world. There are people who are, who are st- thieves and stealing. And sometimes, you know, like, I, didn't, I didn't do it, I just... You know, I knew they did it and then got questioned and I lied. And it's like, that's taking you down a destructive road. You've become an accomplice. You've become one that is working damage into your soul. And he just calls us away from it. He calls us away from being that kind of person where we wouldn't be a partner uh, with a thief, where we wouldn't, you know, be the one that, that facilitates uh, people getting away with that. I mean, it's a sad deal. I used to, you know, be a supervisor in a bank, and it was a sad deal. It was a sad deal how many times um, we caught thieves. I mean, we caught employees that would be, you know, ripping off, but it would happen. Sometimes we caught both the thief and people that knew it. We caught both the thief and the people that were aware that they were thieving, and, and when we finally kind of exposed them, it's like, well, I didn't do it, you know, it's like, but you knew it, and we fired them too. Uh, you know, I mean, we, we put that, we, we did, you know, it's like you lost your, you know, you, we have, you know, there's no space here that we can trust you. There's no space that we could, you know, that you, that you are, you know, you are aware of that and, and you allowed it to happen. And I'm just telling you, there's a place of calling us away from that kind of place where we live in a world like, ah, oh, you know, I'm not involved. You know, it's like you, well, you, if you are, if you know it and you have a responsibility, don't become a partner. Don't become a partner to a thief because it would be destructive into your own life. Not even theirs, yours. And he just calls us away from that. All right. Verse 25. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. What a good proverb, right off just hearing it. The fear of man, being afraid of man, being afraid of what would come from man. He says it's a snare. It brings a trap. It's as if, you know, you're setting a, a trap for an animal, and when you just allow yourself to be driven by the fear of man, he says it draws you into that trap. But the contrast with it is if you trust God, whoever trusts in the Lord, that'll bring you into safety. That'll bring you into a place of being rescued out of so many of those things. And there really is a choice here. And, and the two cannot be enjoyed at the same amount of time. You will either have one or the other. A place of saying, okay, I'm driven by fear, fear of what men would do, fear of what men would do to us, or I, I'm more concerned about God. I, I, I trust Him and I rely on Him, and these things move to, in, in two different realms within our world, so needed for us to understand, so needed for us to, to be moved by this. Dave Guzik, in his commentary, again on it, said it this way, Many people of good heart but not enough courage live in bondage to the fear of man. 
They worry far too much about what people think instead of first being concerned about what God and wisdom says and what integrity would lead them to do. This is a snare that traps many, and it's true. Since there's this place where you, if, you, if you allow yourself to be afraid, afraid of what people and not trusting in God, he says that just brings us into a damaging place, and yet God would so rescue us from it. I find myself thinking of Paul, and he talks about it in the book of Galatians in his own life, and he says it simply this way. He says, now, do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. He says, if I was trying to make people happy, if, if I was driven by the approval of everybody, I can't please God. You can't do it. There's no way to do that. If I'm, if I, if I'm, if I'm so concerned about pleasing people, there's no way that I could ever, you know, I won't be able uh, to please God. And the sad reality is that's been proved out many a time. It's a trap. It's as if, you know, you, you put a weight on people. All of a sudden, it's as if you're walking through life, and now you've got traps and weights that are holding and snaring you down, keeping you from living the life you should live because you're so worried about what everybody thinks and so worried about pleasing everybody, but the rescue from it is so beautiful. Just trust God. I mean, we could trust Him. We can trust God with everything. Uh, we can trust God with our lives. We can trust God with our world. We can trust God with our businesses. We can trust God with our finances. Uh, we can trust God with our health. I mean, no matter what it is, there's a space of being able to say, you know, I'm much more concerned about pleasing God than I am with pleasing people. I, I'm much more concerned with what God says about me than what people say about me, and I can trust Him. And what He's telling us here is when that's where we are, it's as if you can't be trapped, that some of those snares, some of those traps that would snag hold and hold us and trap us and keep us and hold us down, we get rescued from. What an incredibly good space this is and simply holding it out to you. You know, the, the reality is that so often this isn't a static thing in our life. It's not like, well, yep, I'm so glad I got that one down. No, for most of us, it's like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm working on it. You know, it's like I can feel it. I can feel the fear of man rising uh, I can feel the concerns about what people think, but it immediately begins to press, you know, away from where I am, and, and I have to push back and say, God, I trust you. I'm going to live my life to please you, and the interesting thing is when that goes up, you know, the, the, the capability of being trapped and held by the fear of man goes down, and yet that's always the space of longing us to come into a place where God would invite us into being rescued uh, by trusting him. Now, Holding that thought, because the next proverb, depending on how your Bible lays it out, kind of connects into it. That in many ways, verse 26 kind of is a compliment to what's being said here. And so he says, many seek the ruler's favor, but justice from man comes from the Lord. So many, a lot of people are saying, you know, the, the way they do their lives is they are seeking uh, for the favor of a ruler. Or if we can put it in kind of the context of the previous verse, they're trying to look to man, to leaders and men, to people in power, uh, appealing to them, hope, putting their hope and their confidence uh, in, in the things of this world. He says many do that, but here's the deal. Justice, real justice it, it, for man, it doesn't come from men. It comes from the Lord. To be able to say, okay, God is the one that I'm trusting. I, you know, uh, God is the one I'm relying on. This doesn't mean that it's wrong to... Uh, you know, 
file a suit against an unbeliever, kind of out of the 2 Corinthians 6, or dealing with things before the law and hoping it goes well, but here's the thing, don't ever trust it. There's a great space of being able to say, hey, my trust is in God. You know, if the world is wrong and people are doing things wrong, I'm not looking to the world to fix it. I trust God. And in our world, He is the one that can bring justice. He is the one that will bring justice. He is the one that's going to right every wrong. He is the one that's going to bring everything to bear in our world. And He calls us to be those who, in this area, again, puts this place where He's saying, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust God in my world. I'm going to trust God in my business. I'm going to trust God in our, in our, in our government. I'm going to trust God, again, with my finances or my health or whatever it is. He's going to be the one that I trust. Doesn't mean I don't look to other things to, hey, I'm going to you know, apply or do this, but really my confidence is always in Him, and there's safety in that. Said this again simply. Those who can trust in God, those who trust in the Lord, those will be safe, and He just invites you down that road into a space where you and I could find just our, our, our help, our safety, and our rescue from Him. All right. One more uh, proverb for our chapter, and we'll end there this evening. So it gives it to us this way at the verse 27, an unjust man is an abomination to the righteous, but he who is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. So an unjust man, one who's doing the wrong thing, living a sinful, uh, just terrible life, doing everything that God says is wrong, he says to the righteous, to those who are trying to do the right thing, that's an abomination. It's offensive. It's, It's not just a dislike. The word abomination is this very strong word of fine of just like that is that just offends it it breaks it it's something that I detest says for the way it's supposed to be is that that for the righteous person to look at that it ought to be that way but the converse is equally true for the one who is living a right life who's trying to do the right thing it will be an abomination to the wicked so kind of an interesting proverb to, to lay it out. He says, okay, for us, if you're, if, you're, if you're walking with God rightly, it should offend you. And, you know, someone living wrongly should offend you. Yes, I, I kind of recognize the axiom. It's like, you know, we, we, we hate the sin, we love the sinner. We, there is some truth in that nugget. It's like, hey, I, you know, but I hate it. I hate what they do wrong. I hate all the, the brokenness. I hate it. I hate, the, I hate all the destruction that's in the midst of it. It ought to be that way. In some ways, one of the barometers of your own soul is what you hate. In some ways, the barometer of your own soul is what you hate. If it's sin, and, and you hate it, you hate unrighteousness, you hate hearing about it, you hate brokenness, it grieves you, make it, it's a good thing. If it's somebody doing well, if it's somebody doing the right thing, and it just kind of grates at your nerves and pushes you in a bad way, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a, a testimony of something that's bad and certainly a place that would be fixed. I think about the, the testimony of Jesus in this, or a testimony spoken of Jesus in the book of Hebrews that is highlighting just the greatness of Christ and, and, and how much better he is. It, it says it this way in chapter 1, speaking of Jesus, says, you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. One of the things I love about just reading this is it can, should, 
destroy some of the Sunday school, wrong Sunday school, I should say it that way. It's not that just Sunday schools necessarily do this, but some of the wrong images that people have of Jesus. I mean, some people see Jesus, he's like, well, he's just so loving. He just loves everybody. You know, he doesn't know, you know, he's not, he's just, he's just, he's always loving. I mean, that's just the way it is. And he's never angry. He says, no, that's not true. He says he loved what was right and he hated wrong. He hated wrong. He hated everything that was wrong. He hated, it, it broke his heart. It, it, it wasn't just, you know, like, I don't, I don't, you know, it's not my favorite thing. It's like, I hate lawlessness. I hate it. And yet it tells us of Christ that because of that, he had more joy than anybody else. And it was just a, an incredibly powerful principle in, a, in just a nugget form that truly walking in God's ways instead of killing your joy brings you joy. But it really is defined sometimes by what we love and what we hate. And in some ways, that should be that way, and it ought to be. It ought to be in that space where we would say this, that, you know, for the, this place that an unjust man, it ought to be an abomination to us, if you're righteous. Now, if you're righteous, you're going to be an abomination to them, which should be expected and understood. But it ought to be that way. You know, we live in a world that, again, this is just, it's as true today as it's ever been. But one of the scary spaces is the person who is trying to live in between those two places. You know, they're not angry at anybody, and they don't want anybody to be angry at them. Like, they just want to get along with everybody. And as if somehow that were a good way to live. And in our world, some would say, boy, that would be a good man. That would be a good woman. And the Bible's like, nope, no, it would not. (laughs) you should hate what is wrong. And if you hate what's wrong and you're doing the right things, there are people who are going to hate you. There are people who are going to hate you. You know, Paul would say it as just an absolute principle. In principle, he says, you know, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Hands down. He says, you try to live a godly life in this world, it's going to go bad for you. It's not, the world is not going to accept you. You're not going to be able to find yourself like, oh, this is just great. You know, I, I get along with everybody and everybody gets along with me. That's a bad thing. That's a bad thing. It would tell us that maybe we're not living godly enough because all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, will find that we are an abomination to the wicked and it ought to be so. So it's just a good space for us just to almost barometer our souls to kind of come into this and say, Okay, maybe I see where it is. And sometimes, again, we move away from being the people we ought to be because of fear of man. It's like, I don't want anybody to not like me. I don't want people to, be, to, to, to think I'm, you know, unkind. And we allow that to control us instead. You know what? I'd rather please God and make everybody else angry at me. I'd rather everybody at work think that I'm, you know, you know, some archaic, you know, Neanderthal who is, you know, stuck in some old world, you know, morality, I'd rather them all hate me, you know, than everybody like me and God be displeased. Now, there ought to be a place that invites us into a different way of living, pleasing him, even though it sets us in contrast with the world. May it even just be a barometer for you tonight into a place for some of you, it's just a good barometer. Like you're here, it's like, that's me. I hate sin. I hate all of it. It's just, it's just so, I mean, sometimes it's like, it's just, I hate the brokenness and the pain and the sorrow and the abuse and the, and, and, and seeing what people do, it just hurt, just grieves me. Should. It's not a bad thing. 
You know, trusting God is where he'd invite you to do in that, but it'd be a good space for us to be. But once more, if you're not in that, if you're somewhere in the middle of trying to make everybody happy, it's not a good space for you. May it be that we'd be more concerned about God and, and live that way. Well, that's where we're going to close tonight. That's where we're ending our chapter. And so longing again in the midst of that God has spoken. I, I think about where we began, where there is no revelation, then people cast off restraint. My great desire is that somehow tonight God has spoken to you. That somehow in the midst of this, you're like, that's mine. That's my nugget. That's what I'm going to have to think through. That's what I need to kind of process through in my life. May God work that in your life and mine, drawing us to all that he would have for us. So I'm going to lead you in prayer, and then we're going to close in worship, just asking that God would work that in us tonight. Father, I think about the power of your word, that your word can keep us from sin. Your word can keep us on track in the midst of a really upside-down world. Thank you for that. May it be that we've heard your voice tonight, and may it work good into our soul. May we be rescued from the upside-down morality of our world, from the fear of man, from, from just being angry and vengeful and speaking everything on our mind. May we be rescued from the kind of folly that you say is folly. But may we esteem what is good. And ultimately, Lord, may we trust you. May we be the, the one who trusts you and know that you're the one who's going to bring justice. God, believing you now, but wanting to trust you more, I ask that you would draw us to being pleasing in your eyes right now. To trust you with all of our heart, in our, in our, in our lives, in our jobs in our health, in our finances, in our world, to say, God, I'm more concerned about pleasing you. I want to trust you in all of this. Would you draw us to that right now as we surrender this evening and simply tell you thank you. Thank you for all that you are and all that you've done for us. Right now, we just honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.